Thank you for joining us today. This is Clint Byers, lead pastor of Forward Church. I pray this message blesses and encourages you. I hope it inspires transformative grace in your heart and establishes you even deeper in your new covenant identity in Christ. Now take a deep breath, become aware of God's spirit within you, and enjoy the message. We're seeking to express our Christianity in a mature and real way, right? In a way that's consistent with the Word, doesn't water down the Word to the level of our experience. Because, you know, that's where a lot of denominational denominations kind of get stuck is it's like, okay, well, I don't see, I see like the majority of the world is sick and the majority of the time people pray to get healing, it doesn't happen. Therefore, I'm going to make a decision about God based on circumstances. I will make a decision about how God wants to work in the earth based on the average condition of the person's life in the earth. Does that sound familiar? Circumstance theology really is what that's called. And and we do. All of us have circumstance theologies. All of us have beliefs about God that came from our experiences. You can't not have that. That's just the way it is. But your level of maturity will... Be a, you being able to repent and hold on to His Word in spite of circumstance, in other words, change your mind, change the way that you think about His Word, has to do with your maturity. What I want to do is help you, and we talk about it all the time, I want to help you live with the awareness that you are who you are in spirit first and foremost. And in spirit, you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are perfected, you are holy, and that holiness is continually active, not progressive. Progressive holiness is you've been given a seed of holiness and you become more holy. In your spirit, that's not true. You've been cleansed and you've been set apart. You are acceptable before the Father right now as much as you ever will be. Now, that seed does need to bear fruit into your soul and your mind and the rest of your physical being. So, There's kind of a paradox in what holiness is. You've been cleansed at your core. So who and what you really are is done. It's finished. It's complete in Christ. Now, you want to live a lifestyle of repentance where that affects your being, your choices. And that's what, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people get stuck in their, they think they are who they are based on their actions, based on the condition of the world, based on something happens in your life, I need this need met, whether it be a job or a car or a spouse or whatever. Oh, here's a sign that came in. Maybe that's God. And, and, and now that this sign came in, this related to my need, maybe that's God saying that I need to do this. And then you live this external lifestyle. That is a life of confusion. That is a life of you're setting yourself up to harden your heart toward God. Are you with me? Because a lot of Christians do that. And it's funny the way that the brain works. When you uh, have a lack or a need or you have any type of focus, good or bad, in your mind, you start to notice things related to it. Are you with me? I'll tell you something else. Google is listening to you. And they will serve ads up to you based on your conversations and your searches. Don't you realize that? I have heard people say, well, I saw this thing came across my Instagram or Facebook and it was, it was what, just exactly where we are. Maybe it's a sign from God. I'm supposed to do this. It's probably Google. 
Now, if God is putting a uh, ad in your Facebook feed, which He could do if He wanted to, make sure in your heart you are at peace and it verifies where you already are, the word that you are standing on. Are you with me? See, because when we discern externals in circumstance to try to understand the will of God, you may get it, you may not. But if you know the will of God, you know His Word, you're settled in who you are, then as life comes at you, you have that internal barometer. Is this match? Is this... You know, and, and you know what? No one can teach you how to develop that. No one can teach you. I mean, people can have courses and classes to help you understand that you can discern God's leading, but how to actually do it, nobody can teach you. It's just the truth. I'd rather tell you the truth than try and give you seven steps, right? It's up to you. You hear God better than you think that you do. God redesigned you if you've said yes to Him, put His new heart in, a new heart in you that knows His wisdom and logic, put His Spirit in you as an internal guidance system. His Word is alive within you. And now it's up to you whether or not you're going to cultivate that Word to a place where when something comes from the outside, you're so confident in God's principles inwardly that you judge this thing outwardly based on what you already have peace in inwardly. But if you've got a big gaping hole of need within you, you're looking for that thing to be filled, especially people. People are like vampires. They will suck you dry if you let them. Don't you know? I mean, I'm telling you, if you don't have good boundaries, if you don't have a good understanding of who you are in Christ, you get somebody come into your life with a legitimate need, especially somebody that you love, and you don't have that boundary in place of who you are in Him to help them be responsible on their own, they will start drawing on your life, and you think that you need to keep giving, and then you have nothing. You are a big, empty sack because they have drained you of your life. And because you think I should do this, I'm going to preach 12 sermons today. That was boundaries one, and we'll keep going here. But it is at the end of a series, so I am kind of stirring everything together that we've talked over the last seven weeks, and kind of try, I'm going to try to boil it down into some final ideas. Really, here's where we're going today. Let me go ahead and put this up here. There's a question that's based on this idea. There's a difference between why you're alive and what you're living for. Now, I realize that ends with a preposition, and that's not proper grammar, but if you think about it, it actually is proper. So, on Travis, he told me, don't be in a sentence with a preposition. <laughs> that's the question today. What are you living for? I realize it should say, are you living for what, what is the thing? Anyway, whatever it should say. <laughs> For what are you living? Is there, is there something for which you liveth? <laughs> but there's a difference between why you're alive. You are, a li you are alive because God wanted you. God doesn't have accidents. He put you in this earth because He wanted you as His child. You acknowledge God as your Father. You acknowledge Christ as your righteousness, the Son of God sent into this earth to bring you back into relationship with the Father. That's why you're alive. You are alive to experience life with God. But what are you living for? What is it that you're actually living for? Are you living for something? 
And so I'm going to switch to a different sermon now, but I, and I want to talk to the men for just a minute. This has been on my heart for a couple of weeks. Uh, we talked a little bit about it on men's night this past Wednesday, which we have every second Wednesday at 7 men's night here. Um, and, and it's like, you know, men, don't, don't throw your feminism at me here for just the next couple of minutes. Just kind of give me some leeway here to talk, all right? You all with me? And the women are like, Let's just let, well, I'll see about that. <laughs> for the most part, in a, you know, all things being equal, in a marriage, men mostly feel the burden of providing for the family. We're just hardwired to feel that way. Women work. Women do just as much of a job. Sometimes women earn more. I'm not taking away from that, but I'm saying in a sense, th this is something that's on my heart for men. Men feel the sense of, I need to provide for my family. I need to be a good father. I need to be a good spouse. I need to be a good husband. I need to, when I go to work, I need to do a good job. I need to make the boss happy. I need to produce. I got to produce. I got to produce in marriage, and I got to produce in my job. And so we feel this sense of everything I've got to do right. And so then men come to church and you get a whole new list of rules, except it's not just external rules, it's also internal rules. And now you got to keep God happy. And I think men, for the most part, there's a decline in church attendance because they're like, I, I got enough rules at work and home. I don't need them from church too. I'm just going to go out here and enjoy my life. I think that's where we are in church as a as a whole. And men have this sense of burden and feeling where it's like, I believe in God. I have whatever kind of relationship I have with God, but I don't need church. I don't need that. And I think it's because we have tried to force people in general into a box. So we were talking this past Wednesday, and a couple of people brought out something that they like about what we do. This is not really an ad for us, but I just want to highlight the idea so we're not a program-driven church. We're not a church that when you come in the door is looking at you, trying to pigeonhole you into whatever program we already have. If we have something going that you feel called to and you want to serve in that area, jump in. If you have something on your heart that you feel God has called you to and you need the support of an organization, let us know. We'll see how we can work together. But as far as just this overall general expectation that every person in all these seats here needs to be doing something in this church, I don't have that expectation. But I do have the expectation that you're going to come in here, you're going to eat, and you're going to be fed, you're going to be nourished in who you are in Christ, and you do take it out there, and you follow God in whatever it is that He's leading you to do out there. This is a place where you come and get re-energized, recharged, built up in who you are in Christ. You worship, you have good fellowship, it's a safe place. It's even a hospital. Church is a hospital, right, where you come in and the broken people should be able to come in and be nourished and fed and built up in a safe place, you know. And something that we discovered that was really kind of by accident is if you stay here for any period of time, you notice that before church and after church, people stay and talk to each other. And I think it's because we don't have this program-driven thing where church doesn't feel like an obligation. I hope it doesn't feel like an obligation. If you're here because you think you have to be here, then take a month off. I got one laugh. No, it's all right. Don't apologize. You're like, a preacher's telling people to not come to church. Yeah, I am. 
Are you with me? So with men, I do want to challenge the men in, this, in, in the room today and, and watching online. What are you living for? It's fine, you know. This is a safe place. You don't have to come in and think, well, how do I got to fit in? And I pray that church is like that. You know, I think the face of church is changing across the world in general. It's trending back toward the gospel. It's trending back toward unity. It's trending back toward an enjoyment of this earth that God gave us. You know, I think the fact that buildings with signs on the front don't have as many people walking into them on Sunday morning is not a direct reflection of the condition of the church on the planet. I just don't. The church is people. Amen? And we're here in case people want to come in and learn and grow. And we do have a specific calling as this body. And there are some of us that are called to organizational ministry. But not everybody is. You know, I think there's a period of time in the body of Christ, especially in the spirit-filled section of the body of Christ, where the, your ultimate expression as a human meant you had to be in the ministry somehow. You ever been in a church like that? Is that your kind of background? Yeah. That, that, is, that is so constricting. That is so limiting. So I have this thought. However many people are in this room, think about this. If every single person in this room right now, if, you, if there was just an open channel and you heard God clearer and more directly than you ever heard him in your life, and he gave you instructions for the rest of your life, probably about 10% of you it would be to serve in organizational church. The rest of you, it's to be creative and flourish out there. Now, it's funny how people think, okay, well, the organizational church isn't out there because it is, but anyway, that's another subject. Maybe that's my issue, I don't know. Thank you for the laughing. But think about, if every single one of you did what you were led by God to do, you had this place to come into, you had this place to come in and touch base and be nourished and experience fellowship and be taught and be encouraged and all that stuff, but out there, you're actually stepping into what God is leading you into. For men, a lot of times, there's not much space for it because it's, I have to provide for my family, you know, I have to make sure that I'm not watching porn. I have to make sure that I'm doing this and making my boss happy and all these things, right? And that, all those things are good, but it's like then the spirit side of expressing your identity just gets kind of put by the wayside. You know, you ever thought about that? You ever thought about as a man, what, how am I actually fulfilling the call of God on my life? Now, I've got this whole other thing that we go through you're, the reason you're breathing air is to be a child of God. That's it. You acknowledge God. You receive Christ. The reason God puts you in this earth is fulfilled. He wants you as his child. He wants you to enjoy his planet. But now that you're here and now that this place is broken, God probably needs you to go into this earth and fulfill a particular calling. That's calling. So purpose and calling are different. I'm kind of rushing that, but Again, back to this question, what are you living for? Specifically, the men. A lot of men feel like, well, I'm just living to pay the bills. I'm just living to keep my wife off my back. I'm just living to make sure that I grow and increase and make a bunch of money that I can leave to my children and my grandchildren. I'm just, I'm just living. I don't even know why I'm living. I'm telling you, a lot of men, I, I talk to a lot of men, and they, they, they are purposeless. They have no sense of fulfillment. They're bored. They're tired, 
and all they want to do is come home, watch TV, watch a football game, drink some beer or something. They just want to check out, right? I don't, you know, there's not much margin there. And so to feel like you also have this burden to live for God, well, I can't keep him happy, so I'll just, whatever. But you know what? He doesn't treat you that way. He's not looking at you that way. He's looking at you as he has taken you out of the muck, out of the mud, out of death, out of hell, cleansed you, looks at you, put his son in you, and looks at you just like he looks at Jesus. He doesn't have to look through Jesus to see you because he's made you like him. And so I think for a lot of men, we need to realize, man, I'm okay with God. I am okay with God because of what Jesus has done within me. I need to get myself to a place where I'm secure in that, and that's this repentant lifestyle, putting on the new man, who you really are, that's created in the likeness and the image of God after truly righteous and holy. Are you with me? Like, that's why I focus so much on identity, because I want you to never question your place with God, and I don't ever want you to question how God sees you. Because when it's time for you to make decisions, you need to make them from a place that your Father loves and accepts you no matter what. Well, that kind of sounds like you're saying I can keep sinning. Well, if that's what you hear, then grow up, get over it. That's not what I'm saying. I mean, to to hear that and think, well, you're going to give people a license to sin. What? Come on. God forbid. Really? That's where you go with it? Kind of sounds like Paul, right? Huh? People don't need a license to sin. They're just going to do it and they're just not going to tell you about it. So I want to look again at this idea of what are you living for, but I want to look at it from the perspective. And this is, this is kind of a heavy story, the, the story of the uh, parable of the talents. where Jesus. So Jesus, if you look at where this story is, it's kind of toward the end. He's starting to talk about what the final judgment's going to look like. He's starting to talk about, you know, you got to pay the piper at the end of your life. Hopefully, he's gotten them to a place where they understand that their righteousness is based on what he's getting ready to do for them. Now, the people that he was talking to didn't understand, understand that because they didn't have the spirit yet. But we do, right? So when Jesus is down talking about the final judgment, hopefully you know that for you, you will not be judged for righteousness. That's done. Your works will be judged for reward's sake, but it has nothing to do with whether or not you're saved, whether or not you spend eternity with Him. That's secure. But your works will be judged, and there's a reward system based on your works. You will not lose your salvation if you have more bad works than good works. We're not Egyptians waiting to tip the scales, you know. But there is that, and that's what he's talking about when he gets to this point here. And so he's talking about the parable of the talents, and there's a principle here. The principle is, do something. Say, do something. Even if you fail, do something. Now, that fail doesn't mean backslide into sin, you know. But look, so most of us know the parable. There's three of them. One he gives uh, ten, one he gives five, one he gives one. The guy with the ten increases, well done, I'll make you faithful over many. The guy with the five doubles, well done. The guy with the one, which I looked up a talent, it's like a bag of gold or a bag of silver, like 75 pounds. A talent is 75 pounds. It's 75 pounds of gold? I mean, I'm telling you, this guy, they were entrusted with a lot. 
He gave the guy 10. 750 pounds of gold. Anyway, just extravagant. So that's not even really the point. The point is he gave them something and they did something with it. And the guy that hid his, listen, look at how he responded. Now, I think this is how a lot of the church sees God. A lot of the church sees God as a hard taskmaster waiting to judge you for what you've done and what you haven't done, and if you've done a good enough job, and waiting to decide whether or not you receive your eternal reward through Christ based on your works and your efforts. And this is just the mindset here. So Matthew 25, this is at the end of this parable, and he's talking about the guy that hid his. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. I'm going to tell you this word, afraid, is huge. Afraid. So many men live in fear. Fear that you're not going to make enough money. Fear that you're not going to be a good father. Fear that you're not going to provide. I mean, like, I I can tell my son is texting me. He's the only one texting me in church right now because he's camping, and I'm like, I should respond to him. But it's okay. He'll be all right. Fear. I mean, think about that. We men live with so much fear. Now, fear for us, we can handle it emotionally, most of us. So it doesn't, it's not like we're cowering in the corner biting our nails. But what fear does mostly is limit your thinking. It constricts what you think is possible. And it constricts how you're willing to follow God. Now, I'm not saying be careless and risky. That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is there is a balance between responsibility, maturity, properly handling your business in this earth, but also following God beyond what the typical man would do. And that comes from knowing who you are in Him and being willing to actually follow God. You know, I've heard from so many men and they're like, well, you know, my, my wife is really more the spiritual one in the family. Well, you know, you're the head. You're not the authority over her. Jesus is our collective authority. But you should be just as spiritual, whatever that means, you know. Well, that church stuff, that prayer stuff, you know, we kind of let her handle that. But it's like, no, I think we need to see strong men that are confident in the voice of God. And the way that that happens is you know who you are in Christ and you don't think carnally. So this is where I'm going. Kind of wind this down to the idea of carnal thinking. Last week we went through Mark 4. Mark 4 in a nutshell, when you get to the end of it, there's the warning. And the warning is, for those who have, more will be given. And for those who have not, even what they have will be taken away. That taken away is not God taking away the kingdom from you. Because contextually, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about the kingdom in you, the seed in you, bearing fruit to certain degrees. Even that is taken away for those who have not. Now, what's he talking about? Those who have not taken the time to cultivate the Word of God. Those who have not taken the time to, when you're thinking about your finances, you're thinking about how do we get out of debt? How do we pay this? How do I invest this percentage? How do I budget where you know I'm setting my children up? How do I make sure that I'm paying for college? How do I save for a car? How... All of that stuff also factor in 
how do I make sure that I'm trusting God beyond anything else for these needs? Because men get in fear when they don't factor in God's provision as they're budgeting. Now, some of you women budget better than your husbands, so don't get mad at me. I get that. That's fine. But I just feel like that there's something for men to get here today. See, fear is when you... Everything in this world of how to do things makes sense more than God's promises in your life. It's not that you doubt God's promises. It's not that you don't want to follow God. It's just that you don't have time to cultivate your heart to the degree where you are actually being led by Him and making those kinds of decisions. Are you with me? This is not beating anybody up. It's just, I, I just feel like that, that men are struggling with fear. You know, it even says that, that uh, in the end, men's hearts will fail them for fear. I think we're seeing that. I think we're seeing a heart-sick male race, gender. I mean, it's even being like, there's not two genders. There's like gender fluidity and male is toxic and all of that stuff, you know? It's like, there's an attack on that. Don't, don't buy into that for one thing, but also too. You might think, well, I've got it all worked out. I'm doing a good job. I'm being a good husband. I'm being a good boss. I'm being a good employee. I'm trying to do the best that I can. You'd do a lot better if you factored in God as well. So how do you do that? We're going to go back to Mark 4 a little bit. He said... Even those who do not have that which they do have will be taken away. A little earlier in Mark 4, he uses the language taken away. What, how does that happen? It says those who, who don't have depth of word in them, those who have not taken the time to meditate and sit with the word of God and ponder it, specifically related to your, relation, your situations, those kind of people hear the word, are glad, and it either withers away or the enemy steals it, takes it away. So when Jesus gives the warning, that which even those who have not, that which they do have will be taken away, he already said how it gets taken away, and that is the enemy takes it out of their heart. Now, the enemy cannot come into your heart and take stuff out of it. The way that the enemy works, it's like hypnotism. You have to already be slightly in agreement with that lie that that enemy is going to come at you with for you to even be open to it. The enemy cannot plant seeds in your mind in areas where you are strong in who God is. The enemy can only observe you and watch and start to reinforce your pre-existing doubts, fears, and beliefs. That's how the enemy works. The enemy, to me, I've, and I have firsthand experience. If you don't know, you don't know my story, I was possessed. Came out of this crazy drug thing, hearing voices, everything. Knew that I was on my way to hell. I wasn't saved at the time. I mean, as possessed as you can be, thinking that I, actually thinking that I was dead and in hell already, just out of it for like almost a year. So I know what it's like to hear, audibly hear the voice of the enemy telling me, you're like, you should have been a comedian because your life's a joke. I'm sorry, you can laugh. It's fine. It's fine. But you feel me? Yeah. Telling me things like, you're going to drive to school today, and when you do, you're going to get in a car wreck, and these 
ambulance drivers are really going to be demons and they're going to grab you and strap you down and take you into the lower depths of hell. That was every day for me for a very long time, for months and months and months. Crazy, out of my mind, didn't know God, started to turn toward Him because I thought, you know what, these voices, nothing's actually happening. It feels real. Like what they're telling produces emotions within me that makes me think this is actually about to happen, but then it wouldn't happen. And so I started thinking, well, maybe that's not true. Maybe I am alive. Maybe there's hope. Maybe I can. And so I start turning toward God, start turning toward my thoughts toward Jesus. And lo and behold, I personally recognized he, he was already there. Oh, that entity that has some type of sense of peace. Oh, that's Jesus. And so I start focusing more on him. Now, your, your situation might not be as extreme. Sometimes it's actually even easier to have faith when you're in a very extreme situation because black and the dark and the light are very clear. But a lot, there's a lot of gray in our lives right now. And, it, and it's like, it's hard to discern. But the way that you discern God, the enemy, your own fear, is are you full of His Word? Are you taking the time to meditate on it? Do you have His logic within you? Do you know His promises? Do you know what He's done for you? Do you see yourself in heaven hidden with Christ in God, secure forever. Like, is that who you see yourself as? So when you face life, you first start there and then you make these decisions. And I think men kind of have that in place, but it's like because there's so much we have to deal with and make sure that we're doing well, fear puts us in this box. Fear of failure, fear of not being a good father, fear of not providing for our children, all of that stuff. Those are legitimate desires, but God wants to work through you. God wants to lead and guide you. God doesn't want you taking what you have and sticking it in the ground so you don't lose it. Are you with me? Now, this might only be for a couple of people today, but I'm telling you, I was feeling it very strongly. I, I want, especially the men and women, you take it too. Do some... Do some Soul searching. Where are you letting fear, because you have a sense of responsibility, constrict how you think God can move in your life? Like, have you marginalized Him out of that area because you're doing a pretty good job with it? Like, so areas that you are doing well, especially focus on Him in those areas because those areas will begin to thrive and flourish. Like the areas, when's the last time you stopped and you were thankful for where you're not struggling? You know, we're so negative. We focus on, well, I got to fix this and I got to get this better and I got to get this better. What's good about you? What are you doing well? Where are you a good Christian? And I hate that terminology, but you know what I'm saying, right? Where are you proud of yourself? Are you proud of yourself at all? Oh, we're not supposed to be prideful, brother. Whatever. When I work out more than three days in a row, I'm feeling pretty good. Good job. I even put, I don't know why I did this to myself. I put a calendar in our little gym basement. And I make an X each day I work out. And I walked down there the other day. I was like, there's too many blanks on that one, you know. Yeah. What are you living for? I guess that's really, I'm just, because I've got other things, but I, I want to bring it down to something clear where we walk out of here 
I don't want to tear you down. I want to build you up. I don't want to place more responsibility on you. I just want you to help think through how you are thinking about responsibility. Think through how you're thinking about responsibility. So when you sit down to do whatever it is that you need to do to make sure that you're doing the right thing in life, where's God in that mix? Is it just another set of rules? Is he just another burden that you don't know how to keep him happy he's out there? He's not paying attention to me. I've got to do this on my own because I don't really see. Last time I tried, that's not true. You know that's not true. What that is, is a potential for you to listen to the enemy. And that's how the enemy comes and takes the word out. You start thinking, well, I don't know about God. I don't, you know, I, I tried, but he wasn't really there for me, so I don't really know. I can do a pretty good job of this on my own. Better watch out. The enemy will come. Hey, did God really say, did God, did God even really say that he would help you with that? The same lie that the enemy came to them back in the garden, he's still coming to. Did, is God faithful? Will he really do what he said he would do? Will he really be there for you? Does he even do that today? All of that kind of stuff are opportunities for the word to be plucked out of your heart. But if you guard that, if you protect your heart, you protect that word in there. And I hope that you know what that means for you. Because if I say, are you guarding the word in your heart and you don't know what I, what I mean, you need to spend some time to develop your own way of getting the word in there. Sit, that's why I make all these tools and I focus so much on meditation, physical relaxation, because it's an opportunity for you, you know, prayer and meditation, for you to sit and take one scripture and just think about it until it feels real to you. you it becomes alive to you. You start to, see, you start to see His Word you know, bearing fruit even within you, and it starts to shed light and wisdom on your situation. And, and then it's like, then, then you develop this internal communication with the Spirit of the living God that teaches you how to live and make decisions. That's what He will do. That is what He is seeking to do. But a lot of times, because we've tried that and it didn't work, we just take control. Are you with me? Do you know where you're doing that? You know, just to kind of reiterate, take some time and look at yourself and find some areas where you actually are proud of yourself and celebrate those. Doing a pretty good job here, right? Things are pretty good here. Doing all right. I'm thankful. You, you ever sit, you ever just, you're driving, I don't know what happens to me when I'm on the motorcycle. Strange, I don't know why then, but, or sitting on my back porch. And all of a sudden, just this thankfulness rises up. And you're just like, man, man, this feels good. I'm just thankful. I'm just, I'm just gracious, grateful toward God. You ever, do you ever feel that? You know, you're just, you're just sitting there, you're just like, man, I'm not worried about anything. I'm thinking, I got things to do, right? There's stuff that's happening. Mom's here doing this, and I got this, and this person's going to... You know, you're aware. It's not like you're in denial, but there's just this spiritual thing, this life, this peace, and thankfulness just rises up. Did you know that you could connect to that anytime you wanted? It doesn't just come after that second glass of wine. I pray you don't need the wine. You know, you can sit and connect with the spirit of the living God. Get to that place of, 
Yeah, life's happening. But praise God, He's with me. I'm thank- and, and, and there's a knowing, and there's just this sense of spiritual peace that rises up, that just, it puts things into perspective for you, right? In a real way. Not in a charismatic way where you've jumped around in church long enough to get your endorphins pumping and you feel really good and now you've fabricated this phenomenal spiritual experience. Are you with me? Don't fake it. Don't whip yourself up into some carnal physical frenzy and then call it God. I'm talking about where you actually literally are feasting on the spirit of the living God within you. Men, you better learn how to do that. I would teach you if I could. But I know God can, and He wants to, and He will. Give Him the opportunity. And then get to that place when you need to make your decisions. Don't make decisions when you're fear, when you're focused on your lack, when you're worried, when you're mad at your spouse, when you're upset that you're not being a good enough father for your kids. Well, I'm just not going to, I'm just going to do this. You ever done that, those of you that have kids? It's like reactionary decision making. Don't do that. Go to that place of peace. Go to that place of thankfulness. Get God's perspective. Sit with Him. Let your Father minister to you. Go sit with your dad. He'll help you out. And it's real. Are you with me? And then the fear. And let go of the fear. And make it a practice of doing that when you need to make decisions. Because He's a way better teacher than you can be or anybody else can be for you. Amen. So that brings us to the end of Thrive and Prosper. I think it turned out pretty well. That makes me want to go home and sit and try to be thankful. I preach myself. I'm preaching to myself. Because like I'm sitting there going, that's a pretty good idea. I should do that more often. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We trust you. We are thankful. Even in this moment, just take a deep breath. Just relax. I'm not going to try to fabricate an emotion. I'm not going to try to fake anything. But I do want to, I do want to experience thankfulness towards you, Father. I want my heart to learn how to set aside the world, how to set aside the fear of the... Not set aside responsibility but set aside the fear associated with the responsibility and connect to peace and connect to thankfulness and live for something beyond just paying the bills. Live for something beyond just being a good dad, being a good husband. I want to live for something beyond that. God, I want, to, I want you to cultivate within me something that is beyond just this carnal world's pursuits. I want to make an eternal impact. I want, to, I want to do something in this earth that is, that is only birthed from your spirit, that is only birthed from having your kingdom within me. I trust you to lead me into that. I'm thankful for you, Lord. I'm thankful for you. And if you're in here, you're watching online, and you're not a believer, or you're not sure if you are, Say, be willing, do this, be willing to say yes to Jesus. Be willing to open your heart to Him. Just turn your heart and your mind toward Him and say, yes, I love you, Jesus. I know that you love me. You know, I mean, I even feel like there's somebody watching that said, I don't know if I love Jesus. That's okay. 
Just know that He loves you and be willing to turn your heart toward Him. You know, there's not a magic prayer. It's an acknowledgement in your heart. And you can say outwardly, Jesus, you died for me. I don't understand all that, but I'm willing to believe that what you did was for me. I open my heart to you. Live within me and teach me. I don't want to limit you in any way. I trust you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. And thank you to those of you who support Forward Ministries financially. You truly are changing the way the world sees God. You're helping people detox from performance-based religion and experience God's love for them. We're committed to helping you renew your mind so you'll experience transformation and move forward in every area of your life. I pray you're making this heart journey. Visit my website at clintbyers.com for hundreds of free teachings and articles that will empower you to renew your mind and put on your eternal identity in Christ. I'm especially excited about my tools for transformation that have original music and modern technology designed to help you slow down and connect with the Spirit of God in your heart. I'd like to invite you to partner with Forward Ministries. Help us continue to spread the gospel and develop resources that are empowering people to grow in their identity in Christ. Thank you again for joining me. I pray God's blessings and promises over you and your family today.